0: show i did a weird thing that you did a weird thing weird in a way that was not my weird that we're
1: supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water leave me alone i'm not going to bed at the same time every
0: night is this show killing people bad 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 something good has to be coming i'm so proud of us well if
1: you have enough peanuts it should just bring harmony right? I have so many questions right off the bat. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you're too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault.
0: When will my friend die? When will my friend die? This one's a challenge. Both of my eyes are twitching. Welcome to Agreements. I'm Catherine, And I'm Michelle. And every week. Nope. (laughs) Nope, not every week. (laughs) Especially not now. We're coming back. Like, we're back. Welcome back to us. Um, Every other week, and sometimes with longer pauses in between when we need them, which we did this holiday season and beyond, we bring you our podcast, Agreement, in which we have three things that we share with one another, and they are? They are a weird thing. They are a pop culture thing.
1: And finally, a research thing, which can be quite a journey. Yes. Lean back, do your dishes, take a
0: walk, whatever you need to do, and just come along with us. Let us wash over you. And so, as we wash over you, at the end of that bath of voices, that oral bath, (laughs) Um,
1: sound baths are a thing right they really are
0: I don't think we qualify but they are a thing so then we try to those three things we try to make them all fit together in some kind of message wrap them up into some kind of fortune cookie-esque message that you can take along with you yes live your life by it as I mentioned we have been gone for some time but this is episode 37. We're a fast approaching 40. Not I am like 37, myself. so
1: it's like my golden episode.
0: <gasps> yay, yay, Michelle's golden episode. So <laughs> it'll be extra shiny. So I go first this episode. First up is Weird Thing. I wanted, since we've had a bit of a break, to bring back one of my favorite go-to for weird things a good old animal fact animal facts well i have for the past we were so been sick with covid and so sickness and illness and health are very much on my mind and i heard i can't quite remember somehow related to talking to someone about being sick and i quote what i was told rabbits can't be sick now i took that in my fevered haze to mean, rabbits cannot become ill. Wouldn't, wouldn't you assume that's what that means? What, what did what what else could that mean? Sadly, I was wrong. And my fact is much less interesting for it. Rabbits cannot vomit. Oh, when people use like be sick to, yeah. Be okay. sick. Okay. Was someone being overly polite that I was speaking with and they said be sick. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I was like, I had rabbits growing up. I'm pretty sure they got sick. But, okay in but... fact they can get quite sick because i'll tell you one of the fun facts i learned um but yes rabbits cannot vomit nor can they pass gas so that is kind of interesting i think yeah
1: and it, i assume that's pretty dangerous for them because if you eat yeah like i mean if you eat something that isn't agreeing with you a lot of the avenues for fixing it are
0: gone exactly Um, in the wild, it tends not to be much of a problem because they eat things that are healthy for them, but it is a big problem for pet rabbits, for what you say that they get into things they shouldn't get into and they can't throw it up. So why can't they throw it up in case you were interested for a long time? People thought it was because they had very weak diaphragms and people thought that because other animal fact rodents also cannot throw up really or past gas and that in large part is because they do have very weak diaphragms and again as we're saying one of the reasons rat poison is such a go-to to to kill rats is because they can't vomit it up once they get poisoned so it's in there and it's staying in there so but that's not the case for rabbits and basically they have their esophagus first of all there are many reasons why they can't throw up is tilted at an angle that makes it almost impossible for food to come back up from the stomach. And then they have a very tight esophageal sphincter and that muscle tightens to prevent backflow. We have learned about esophageal sphincters before in part because of wombats and their sperm. I was going to say with the wombats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What can't it do? So That's the second one. And finally, they have a very thick fold of tissue around their stomach, like a band that prevents it from expanding and throwing up. And what other animal has this band that prevents you from throwing up? So we know all rodents can't throw up, but they don't have the bands of squirrels and rats and mice. They can't throw up. Beavers can't throw up. But do you want to guess what the final animal that cannot throw up is? Because of the band. Because they have a very tight band around their stomach. I feel like I'm going to get this wrong.
1: Um, you probably it, are.
0: <laughs> is it a possum? No. Okay. But that's a good guess because it is rodent-like, correct? The answer is horses. Oh,
1: I feel like you just unlocked some mem- some distant memory in my head about, about horses. Um, like in horse, because I have an aunt who raises horses and i like Ah. i feel like there was a yeah a concern about a particular illness in horses and like what you had to do if they were ill because yeah okay i
0: can't throw up unlike the other animals a horse can become so violently ill that their band breaks and then they throw up but they're dead they're dead then that's a bigger problem than just like some nausea so horses can pass gas correct I believe yes, because they don't have the es- the esophageal sphincter thing. Okay, they okay. just have the band, and then rodents just have weak diaphragm. I wonder what the evolutionary explanation for that is. Like, right? I'm just like I feel like throwing up, as unpleasant as it is, is is important. It's
1: very useful if you
0: have eaten something that should not be in your stomach you know like ultimately that's what my weird thing is is that i really meditated on how wonderful it is that we can throw up
1: let's all think about that for a moment
0: be Be thankful be thankful for your vomiting and that's it that's my weird thing
1: i'm just i think like yeah because i mean it seems like the rabbit has like a triple pronged evolutionary like you do not get to puke and that never
0: yeah. Um, I did find a fun rabbit website that was like, I have seen my rabbit throw up. And it was like a and a about why rabbits can't throw up. And they're like, I've seen my rabbit throw up. And the answer was rabbits can get, um, they have a lot of problems choking. They choke a lot and maybe they're choking. That's what you're seeing. But also they have, because they're not an animal that can't get sick, they're actually a very unhealthy animal, pet rabbits, they can get such seriously bad, like, sinus issues that it's just spraying mucus out. So it's really just yeah. snot. Yeah, it's just a bunch of snot and you think your rabbit's throwing up. Brr. I mean, you I guess it is. if I had to pick, I guess I would pick snot over vomit. Would you? Would you rather have so much snot come out? It seems like you're vomiting snot. I have a just really vomiting. hard time with vomit. Like,
1: oh, okay. Like, as a, as a mom <laughs> and as a, a pet carer... Vomit is the one where I'm like, "This is on you," to my spouse. Like,
0: clearly, you need a, step- a pet. You need a pet rabbit. You pet rabbit. The answer. Yeah, or a pet horse. Yes. Which would you? You have a backyard. Put a horse in that backyard. I'm in my city backyard, sure, it's zoned for it. It's fine.
1: All right, are we ready for my weird thing? Very ready. Today we're going to talk about a phenomenon that has puzzled scientists and lay people alike for centuries, spontaneous human combustion. Spontaneous human combustion, or SHC, is the alleged occurrence of a human body suddenly and inexplicably catching fire with the combustion apparently originating from within the body. While there have been many reported cases of SHC throughout history, the phenomenon remains shrouded in mystery and controversy. One of the most well-known cases of SHC is that of Mary Reeser, a 67-year-old woman who was found dead in her apartment in 1951. According to witnesses, Reeser's body had been reduced to ashes and a pile of molten fat, with only her feet and part of her spine remaining intact. The cause of her death was officially listed as unknown. Another notable case is that of Jean Saffin, a 78-year-old woman who was found dead in her home in England in 2006. Her body was burned beyond recognition, and her head and legs were reduced to ashes. The only part of her body that remained intact was her torso. Many theories have been proposed to explain SHC, including the idea that it is caused by an internal buildup of gases such as methane. Oh, I, this look is at that pre connection what got going um, on. that are then ignited by a spark. Others have suggested that it's caused by a rare metabolic disorder that causes the body to produce excessive amounts of heat. However, some experts argue that these cases could be explained by more mundane causes, such as accidental fire or arson. They argue that the lack of external burns and the fact that only the body is burned is not consistent with an ordinary fire. Despite the lack of scientific evidence to support the existence of SHC, the phenomenon continues to capture the public's imagination Whether it's a real phenomenon or simply an urban legend, one thing is certain spontaneous human combustion remains one of the most perplexing mysteries of the world of science. And my real weird thing is that I did not write any of that.
0: Oh, no, no, Michelle, no. (laughs) That was okay, because here's what's happening. Just for people who aren't on this Zoom call and are listening to this as a podcast, you don't really read off your notes ever. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of wondering, like, I could see you were reading and I was like, "Hmm." I wonder if she's just like me and feeling kind of foggy and has a lot of notes. Oh, no, (laughs) no, don't say it ain't so or say it is because I'm obsessed with this. So let's talk about it. So my
1: weird thing is my own feelings about ChatGPT. I just don't know how I feel about it because its it scares me, it frustrates me, it excites me, and it's also super helpful. <laughs> so I just don't know how to feel about it. And so I literally just typed in, I, I cut the parts that it put in for me. So I'm gonna read those for you now. I typed in, create a podcast topic for a weird things podcast (gasps) and it said welcome to the weird things podcast where we explore (laughs) the strange and unusual in the world around us today we're going to talk about a phenomenon that has puzzled scientists and lay people like for centuries spontaneous human combustion and then at the end I was supposed to say that's all for today's episode of weird things. Join us next time as we delve into the strange and unexplained as always, be sure to check out our website for more information and to leave your comments and questions. Thanks for listening.
0: It's so good. It's so good. And I didn't even think about using it for podcasting segments. That's that's wow. That was very well done. I could have, so I have
1: been using it um, professionally I have not been taking the word like word for word copy. This was, I just read out exactly what it gave because I wanted to, you know, kind of showcase the the weirdness of it. Um, but, and I feel like if I had practiced this a little bit and had, had put it in my own, like, I don't think, I think I could have made it sound like it was absolutely something that I had researched and that I had brought in. I don't think anybody would have been able to tell
0: that it was not my no. original weird thing that I went and found. I was watching you read something and I never thought, it was that I just assumed you were reading your notes.
1: Yeah, and so I've been using it like because I I you know I ghostwrite and I ghostwrite for these like social media posts that I have to like write these like you know an educational social media post about roofing and I have to make ninety different ones in a week or whatever and so I, I've been putting those in and then just getting topic ideas and I'm still writing them in my own words but absolutely like I could just copy and paste them and they. They would fit the parameters that I've been given. And um, I, I just, I am just, I don't know how to untangle my feelings about it. And I don't know what to do with that.
0: Cause it's, it's very good at what it, it's, I am blown away because it blows everything before it. So out of the water chat GPT, it is so exponentially better than anything I've seen before. It's wild. And that I kind of over um, early January was playtesting the app. I got a free version of the app and you can really tell it to do pretty much anything. Right. I was having it write scripts for me, my favorite it's because it's also very fun. It's it's a very fun thing to use because it was like I was like, write a Hallmark movie about 12 beautiful dogs. And it did a really good homework movie write-up. I love like, how sincere it is in its efforts to fulfill your insane
1: requests. So when it's yeah. like, you're like, like, can I do this? And it's like, I'm going to try. <laughs>
0: I'm going to really do my best. I, I told it, write a screenplay with 12 characters who live under the sea and kill each other. And it did a great job. <laughs> and it had 12 characters and they all had lines. And... I've also been doing very, very stupid things with it. Um, I was kind of trying to play test its filter content, um, content filter for like adult content. Like, could you write, I don't know, porn scripts with it? And it will, there are words where it tells you, I can't do that. Like I don't deal in adult things. Um, And usually it's if you type a word for genitals or whatever, but for some reason, I could get around that filter with, and I tried many different phrases because I'm an eight-year-old boy at heart, um, an eight-year-old kid. And the magic phrase that let me slide by the content filter was tell me a story about a penis adventure. And I then spent probably two days just doing that again and again and again to see what it would do and i feel like i learned a lot about chat gpt but it was so interesting um sorry that i'm hijacking this with a penis adventure but like it would it would say once upon a time there was a man named dick and so like on some level it understands right that dick like is a, a euphemism fun. for penis so he went on this is just one of many i did he went on many adventures blah 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 and he learned about dongs because it's a kind of instrument and it's an African instrument called the dong. So and it was so like, it just really impressed me that it knew the euphemism for penis knew that it was something else and tied it into an adventure story. And that level of like thinking and working yeah, on is very I mean, impressive.
1: And playing with language. And I just, yeah, that's, um, and I, like I'm mostly impressed with what happens when you ask follow-up questions because like mm. it gets deeper as you like, because most of what I've gotten on my first try is pretty superficial. But if I say like, can you go deeper into you know this number or whatever, and then it that like that's where I see like, I'm like this is, I don't yeah, and like obviously I have concerns as an English teacher. I'm I'm putting together a panel to talk about like what does this mean about teaching English, and my basic answer is like we've got to learn how to write assignments that tell kids how to use it ethically. Right. We've got to learn how to write assignments where, like, we say, if you do use it, these are the ways that are acceptable. These are the ways that are not. This is how you need to disclose what level of assistance you've gotten and how you, like, you know, I think that we just have to build in an ethical framework for it. Because, like, cheating. And and the answers I've been seeing are, well, everybody has to write everything by hand in front of me. I saw that. Like, that's not... That's not the practice of composition. Like, I'm not saying that that's not writing because it is, but it's not the same as like, like I teach the writing process. I am not expecting you to spit out good, thoughtful drafts sitting in front of me in a 45 minute class. Like I'm
0: just, that's not acceptable. Including the fact, I don't know if you've done this lately. I tried handwriting something the other day and I've lost all... It hurts. Writing dexterity. I've also heard of people talking
1: about um, using an oral defense of their assignments, which I think is actually really smart. Like they can turn in and then they have to like answer questions about it and be able to like provide an oral defense of it. But I, my concern
0: is that one, there's just not time.
1: There's not time. Yeah,
0: We've talked on this many times that most teachers are not full-time, they're precarious labor. Even if you are a full-time tenure track teacher or a full-time teacher, You don't have time to quiz every student.
1: 80 to 100 students a semester with four or five big assignments each. Like, it's just not, that's just not feasible. But also, an oral defense requires a skill set that if you're not training it, like, a student could fail the oral defense when that's not something that they were expected to be able to do. Right. Past that class, you know, like you might just not have the skills of being able to defend something orally. That doesn't mean you didn't write your paper. So I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens, but my weird thing is basically just that I have no idea how to feel about chat GPT. And I feel like I'm somebody who should have a strong opinion on chat GPT one way or the other. And Uh, my my feelings about it could be summed up as
0: "Mm?" no i agree um i've i mean i feel like everyone is talking about this everyone i've talked to in the past two weeks has questions or something to say about it which is exciting it's exciting that this is like so good at what it does it's so prevalent it's causing so many conversations and I know of some teachers who are already teaching around it, who are like having students write papers with it, and then they critique the paper, which is one thing, but it's not the whole answer.
1: I'm just so worried about what that does. The relationship in most mainstream educational classrooms is already so antagonistic that I I just, I mean, at what cost are you preventing a learner from cheating? What is that doing to their actual relationship with learning?
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think more often than not, it is not worth it to like go on a witch hunt for plagiarizers. If it stands out, it stands out. And the feeling of, oh, my student's going to pull something over on me, I think is one of the worst positions to teach from about being afraid of having something pulled over on you. Um, I think people who think that way don't understand the power dynamics of yeah. teaching in the first place. and
1: but it, it just goes into that assumption that people are inherently lazy, and that is an assumption that there is not evidence for. There's just not evidence that people want to cut corners. Like, we do all kinds of hard
0: work for no reason. like, <laughs> like, like I have a, stack, a podcast about foleying and like right, foley I have <laughs> a
1: stack of research books next to me for this podcast, but I had, like, paid work to do today. And I was like, no. And when I show you what the books are, that will be even funnier. Um so, <laughs> like I yeah, I just I and and my students do go above and beyond all of the time. Every time I give them like open-ended assignments, they blow me away with what they come back with. And I'm like, I never would have thought to ask you to do that. And this is brilliant and I love it. And I just I do not believe that this is the this this is this cannot be the future of education. It might be the future of something. Might be the future of schooling, but I don't think it's the future of learning.
0: Yeah, I have to hope that my theory of when it comes to plagiarism or when it comes to teaching in general, um, and this is also a weakness of mine in teaching, is that when there are students that just don't care and don't want to be there and don't want to work, um, I have a lot of trouble dealing with those students and pulling them in and motivating them. My attitude then knowing that, and it's not like I just give up on some of my students, but the attitude is that if you can't do anything about it, then ultimately they pay the price. And that is sad. But if they don't want to learn, they won't learn. If they don't want to do the work, they won't learn. And I think that it will be the same with this. Like you said, students who are excited, students who want to be there and do the work will do the work and learn. And there might be a few who use this, but that's ultimately going to hurt them. And I spent years teaching
1: these students that the system had deemed, you know, the worst students, the least prepared, the, you know, students who had failed out. And I will tell you that there was no amount of authoritarianism that I could have thrown into that situation that was going to turn it around. But what turned it around? Not every time. It was very, very tough. I was, I was teaching, you know, remedial college classes. Uh, but what turned it around for the ones who turned it around? And it was a big chunk was trust. Was, was me going in and being like, mm-hmm. I trust your ideas. I trust you to tell me something worthwhile. I trust you to give me your best work and I'm going to respond to it as if it was your best work. And if it wasn't, I'm going to trust that you had a good reason to decide that this is where you had to cut a corner today. And I overwhelmingly saw positive results with that attitude. And when I first started out, I was told I was, you know, drilled into me from some of my colleagues and people were training me like you cannot let these these Students walk all over you, like you're coming in. You're young, and they're gonna and like when I went in with that attitude, it was terrible. And it wasn't until I backed up and was like, you know what? Like I I trust you. Like I like I'm gonna assume that we all showed up in this classroom with the same goal, which is to get you take the skills that you have and get you where you need to go. And I'm just gonna and I'm just gonna approach every single interaction with that attitude. And if that's not true, then that's on you. And I like. It that is the key, in my opinion, to reaching troubled students.
0: And I am yeah, just good worried faith about teaching. Yeah. And I think that's the key for all students, really, is trust and teaching in good faith. And if you yeah. can't do that, I don't think you should be a teacher because yeah. you're teaching from a place of fear. And then if you're teaching from a place of fear, you think the students are more powerful than you, which is never true. And that just causes so many problems that have huge implications. <sighs> but... And even just you're saying that this making people just antagonistic, I've seen on Twitter people who are talking about, hey, I already had an assignment and I can tell students are using this, any tips. And so many people are just dicks who go, we'll make better assignments, do your job. And I'm like, you know, I believe in there are ways to have good assignments that students can't cheat on, especially for like midterm tests. But ChatGPT is a game changer. Yeah, and you have yep. to rethink a lot. Yep. No, I
1: I have really unique, um, inventive assignments, and I typed some of them in, and it spit out things that I wouldn't have been able to recognize as having been produced yep. by ChatGPT.
0: Oh, but I did play testing it. It's it's it can't. Here's one thing that humans in the job in the future, when all our jobs are taken by robots, it can't do jokes. They were either so obvious, like I was like, "Tell me a joke about glitter." I was like, "What did one glitter say to the other glitter?" It's our time to sparkle. And it's like, <laughs> not- well, and
1: humor is so like if you study the rhetoric of humor, it which is not fun at all. Like it's not funny. Like it sounds like no, a very- I have,
0: and it is yeah. a drag. Yeah, yeah,
1: but it is fascinating because humor is one of the most audience dependent ways of communicating and that's why like i mean stand-up shows even lose like i know there's lots of like netflix specials or whatever but like it's not the same as being in the room watching stand-up because like they are responding to the audience even in the one in front of them like even when they have
0: a scripted like it's just such an audience dependent medium could go on and on but it is it is it's exciting i'll say that at least it's exciting yeah Yeah. like like a volcano erupting Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Should we move on to pop Pop culture culture it up? My pop culture is, and I have a lot of like hemming and hawing and explaining, but just right off the bat, I want to show you something. So my pop culture is this year's 2023 Miss Universe pageant. Okay. Specifically, not just the whole pageant or the history of Miss Universe or anything, but the national costume portion of it. Have you seen this? I only saw the USA costume, but it was something else. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I think um, Miss Universe is getting a lot of attention right now because of Miss USA's costume. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's so funny because you see like USA and then this poor woman under a huge constructional apparatus kind of tries to gracefully walk out kind of Terminator style because she's wearing the whole moon on her Ooh. back. Um, because she is celebrating America landing on the moon. And then they say something about, oh, well, women go to the moon too now. And so she ended up winning. Fun fact. Oh, I didn't know USA won this year. So, OK, so you're familiar with the National costume portion of the show a bit because of the usa now i know it's a problem i do like i'm primarily a feminist theorist and i'm here going woo beauty pageants um and donald trump used to own it he no longer does own miss universe and in fact last year it was bought by a thai corporation headed by jacobong jacquotate making her the first transgender owner of a major beauty pageant so that's a lot better than donald trump i hope i mean they're still like a corporate owner of corporations but so um another fun fact i learned was that Miss universe was started by pacific knitting mills and they own catalina swimwear and so that is primarily why there is a swimwear portion in most of these so they could show off swimsuits and sell swimsuits Uh, besides you know misogyny of wanting to see women prance around in swimsuits but I can't help I can't help loving it I'm someone I'm a sucker for spectacle and camp as you know in my home Eurovision is a national holiday so anything that like has so much bravado all the countries of the world are getting together to just do something campy oh I love it I love it so much I'm helpless against it. So I was very thrilled that it's getting attention. I'm even more thrilled that on YouTube, they put up just the national costume portion. It's an hour long, but you, I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can go to YouTube and spend a nice evening just watching the national costume portion of Miss Universe. You will, you will thank me. So there are two main reasons why I love this so much. And first is, of course, the costumes. Duh. Do you Are you a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? Any listeners? You will love this. This is drag. Miss USA had like the whole moon on her back that she could barely walk with to celebrate landing on the moon. There was a giant puppet headdress that was bigger than the woman wearing it with like hands she could hold to clap and move the puppet um there was a woman a just a gliding glittering, rhinestoned Peruvian pyramid pushed onto stage and worn by a woman with a panther affixed to her back there were so many bird head pieces. Bird heads were a big theme. Dressing as currency was a big theme this year. Someone dressed as a Stroopwafel, which Stroop was amazing. are delicious. They're delicious. And she had a cup of tea on her head because Stroopwafels are good dunked in tea, as the announcer let us know. <laughs> um, there was, I mean, Germany, Germany dressed as a sexy Karl Lagerfeld, even holding his cat. And so that's what I mean when I say this is camp. So it's interesting to see the interpretations about what they do to represent their country. Sometimes I do actually learn something about a country I did not know. And maybe I am overreaching here, but I feel like there are so many discussions and they are, of course, very needed discussions as there should be around cultural appropriation. And of course, understanding why appropriation of other cultures is problematic, we need to know that, we need to know what not to do. But then there are arguments that if, you know, we limit our conceptions or what is and is not appropriation too strictly, that there'll be these universalized monolithic stereotypes, right? Like this is what you can be, this is what you are, this is the way to do this culture and there's one monolithic way of doing it. We don't wanna get to that. these monolithic attachments to identity and of course that's a pretty broad spectrum of cultural appropriation to monolithic identities but like where and do we fall within it how do we handle that and i just can't help but see the miss universe national costume pageant portion of it as like if the world never ever had appropriation like Everyone was like, I'm going to do this national thing to the most. And yet is entirely appropriative at the same time. And that's such a headspin that it is the most appropriative thing and is the least appropriate thing. Like I am being Germany in this moment. Um, so I really, I think you just have to watch it. And I loved it so much. But secondly, my, the second thing I really love about it besides the costumes is that there are usually two announcers who, when the women come onto stage, say a little bit, they say a little bit maybe about who the woman is or about the country. Basically. And I don't know if you saw this, they rhyme. So they say something about, they say something about the woman or the country, and then they have a cute little rhyme at the end. And they did this for every country for an hour. And the music, by the way, for the hour never really changes. Sometimes <laughs> there's key changes, but it's like just- bom, bom, bom. for an hour. And puppets. Yes, moon. puppets are walking across the stage. Yes, exactly. Carl Lagerfeld and Chapu, Chapette, his cat. So it's hypnotic because there's rhyming, it's constant rhyming, constant rhythmic music spectacle colors again I had a fever this week but it was the best thing ever and so um I imagine it was like how biurnal beats work for you that I just got so in a zone like I feel good (laughs) I'm here so basically like I said they say a little bit about the country and the costume but then there's a little rhyme and every single country got a little rhyme I will tell you some examples. for for angola because they ranged angola for example they let us know that she was wearing a costume made entirely of cowrie shells but that was because she wanted to dress as a tree but the tree costume was too big to mail to new orleans where miss universe was held so they ended that little talk with she couldn't mail it but still managed to nail it angola (laughs) for Bhutan and sometimes you know the countries try to have a message they want to push a little piece of propaganda Bhutan had a message about they were modernizing um her line was the world moves fast so she's not stuck in the past Bhutan um some of them weren't really about like some of them I could tell they were like we don't know what to do with this costume Cameroon was dressed as agriculture. So they just said for her, she takes, she takes no, no vacation, vacation from, from saluting from her nation, Cameroon. Cameroon. Um, Probably the stupidest one was Brazil. She dressed like a mermaid to celebrate mermaids, I guess. And um, that's it. Let me get ready here. I'll compose myself. Don't, you, Don't wish you wish that you were half fish? Like, like Brazil? Brazil. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but what really, really, and I shouldn't laugh at this, but what got me just cracking up was some of these countries are within the framework at hand of Miss Universe trying to make some statements, like geopolitical statements. Um, and then they do a little rhyme. So for example, Armenia came out. And Armenia was introduced by, quote, this costume sheds light on Armenia's genocidal history, something this delegate's family is all too familiar with. When, when we don't fight, fight the future, the is, future bright bright is bright in Armenia. in Armenia. Wow. That's a... That's a swing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, at least they didn't try to rhyme the word genocide. Right. Um, But... When your people are wiped out, no need to pout. (laughs) It's just like, no, no, no. Ukraine, Ukraine had a very cool costume. They were basically dressed as a warrior of light and it looked like a badass avenging angel video game character. It was really well done. And so she comes on and she says, she dressed like this to signify the fighting in Ukraine. This warrior of light will help in their fight. Ukraine! It's just, like, they're at war. Like, there's very real geopolitics. Right, like a little, there. like, hallmark cardish slogan to come, like, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, how do we make a cute rhyme about Armenian genocide? Armenia's genocidal history. So... I bet, bet ChatGPT could do it. Oh, yes. Maybe that's how they did it. Tell me a rhyme about genocide in Armenia. Tell me a rhyme about the moon and America and women. Um... Although America's rhyme was just, you'll see her soon on the moon, USA. My final—they don't seem to have a meter scheme, like no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just yeah. It was I. I just cannot um, recommend enough that everyone goes and spends an hour of their life watching that because it was really, really delightful.
1: Well, my pop culture thing is as we were talking about earlier, we. Been, i've been listening to a lot of audiobooks um and i've noticed lately that quite a few of the audiobooks that i've read have been written by men but voiced by women and mm-hmm. i was trying to figure out what was going on with that um and i didn't that's just spoiler i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna end up on a different tangent but um just to, just to reflect a little on that i was like so one of the things as i was trying to research why this was happening was that a ton of complaints about male voices. Trying to do female dialogue and how I do hate those when when
0: they'll put on a woman voice in an audiobook. Oh, and I I read
1: one. It was I can't remember what it was. It was some sort of horror, like a quick horror novel, and the the woman's voice, like the woman was the protagonist. So there was a narrator, and the guy would read the narrator voice in a normal voice, and whenever it was the woman, it was like. it like, was just like very nasally and high pitch. It's a and,
0: very specific thing a lot of audiobook readers do. and it just,
1: yeah, it it just really unpleasant and just was not fitting for the character, which was this strong, you know, like survival focused and just sounded like a needy chipmunk or something. I don't know. and. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so I was like, well, maybe they're just avoiding that problem. But then I was also noticing that, like, a lot of the protagonists are actually women. Even though it's written by a man, the protagonist is a woman. So I guess it makes sense if we're, like, in the woman's mind that it would be a woman's voice. And so – but then I was like, why are so many male writers writing female protagonists? Is it because that's more likely to get published? So I – I did not find out answers to any of these questions. That's just how I got to my pop culture thing. So I was trying to figure that out. And as I was reading an article um, in that research, I found just a line that didn't have a quote or didn't have any like citation or anything that said 99% of movie trailers are voiced by a man. And I was like, what? And so like, I just just froze. It was like 99% like that, like nothing is 99%. Like what? And so I tried to go find out, um, and I could not verify that specific statistic because I quickly slipped down this rabbit hole. Do you know who Don LaFontaine is?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. So I did not know who Don LaFontaine was, um, but he is my pop culture thing. So Yay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some general information about Mr. LaFontaine. Um, Don LaFontaine was an American voice actor. He was born in um, 1940 in Minnesota. His voice cracked at the age of 13, mid-sentence, and gave him <laughs> a very deep, distinctive voice that you certainly know, because he is the in-a-world guy. Um, and so I had no idea. He he passed away in 2008. And he continued to do movie trailers up until 2007. So he was doing movie trailers um, throughout his life. Um, It is an astounding amount. He did more than 5,000 movie trailers. I would have to click through 552 pages of his... (laughs) With a hundred movies per page. His first movie trailer was in 1971 for the film Making It, which I have not seen or even heard about. Um, And his last one was for the 2007 film Rush Hour 3. So um, between 71 and 2007, he did more than 5,000 movie trailers. And so... And I mean, it's a huge range. It's comedy, it's action, it's dramas, all kinds, but all of those inner worlds like he like it is a cliche because of him like he kind of came up with that. And um, so I found this Screen Crush article about him. And it is just a link to, like, some of the best in a world's, like... Um, <laughs> so, Goodfellas is in a world that's powered by violence. On the streets where the violent have power, a new generation Ooh. carries on an old tradition. The Glass Shield from 1994, in a world filled with violence, their only weapon is the truth. <laughs> um, Ransom, the uh, Mel Gibson movie from 1996... In a world where great risks can bring extraordinary rewards, Tom Mullen has succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. (laughs) Basketball?
0: Do you remember that? No. Hmm. What is basketball? It's a movie about basketball and baseball? Yeah, it's a
1: comedy where they made up a... Well, I'll tell you. In a world where professional sports had sunk to a new low, two
0: guys invented a game that took them to the big time. (laughs) It is very informational now. I know what that movie is yeah, about. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> and so I don't like. I'm just. It's just astounding
1: to me that one person had that much,
0: just that much, of influence. an influence. Yeah. yeah,
1: over like the movie in and So for a long time, like almost every movie trailer that came out was. Don LaFontaine's voice and so I do I mean I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of that 99% I mean I'm sure these are all American statistics was that 99% right. of of movie trailers many of them were voiced by him uh, at least until 2007 so I, I would be interested to see a breakdown of if that has changed and he influenced kind of the way that you expect it to sound like even if it wasn't his voice. It was still like that deep kind of gravelly voice and still sort of that same cadence. And so, yeah, I just, I find that really fascinating.
0: That's so interesting. Cause when you said 99%, I also froze and then tried to think of movie trailers I've seen recently. And I, I've noticed that a lot of them over the past few years don't have narrators as much. Yeah. And I wonder if it's just because when he died,
1: they were like, well, what are we gonna do yeah i think i think when i was trying to think of like well what trailers have i seen recently it seems like they just jump into like spliced
0: moments from the film itself like yeah it's not a cool song and then boop 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 huh maybe some text instead of he he was irreplaceable maybe he was Mm -hmm. he changed the game and then he changed it when he died but this I feel like maybe in in a world those little lines and the little rhymes, maybe there's something oh there. in a world, you'll get twirled oh, no, we're, we're. in a world without genocide. <laughs> you'll be on our side with Armenia. <laughs> um yeah, apologies to Armenia for screaming about Armenian genocide and laughing for the past 12 minutes. Um So yeah, okay, are we ready for the big one? Yes. So, I'm going to start off my research with an apology to those in my life who have had to hear about this throughout the holiday season and beyond, nonstop, and now you're going to hear about it again because this is something I managed somehow to not tell you, Michelle, but I have told everyone who will listen about this because I'm so obsessed. Um just obsessed with it so it's like caterpillar soup right like when it's like when you learn a fact and you want to tell everyone about it immediately and like that's your thing for a while so that's what that's what this is and I don't really know how to enter in so I apologize if it seems roundabout but it's a whole thing so in a nutshell simply my research is the life of Jane Mansfield okay which is fascinating How much do you know about, like, Jane Mansfield and about Not a lot. If you had to say something you knew about Jane Mansfield. Yeah, that's my face. I'm like, before I learned all this. So Jane Mansfield is very, very much in line with Marilyn Monroe. And she was alive at the same time, working at the exact same time. She was one of the women beyond Monroe who created and popularized the blonde bombshell like she had as big a role in that as Marilyn Monroe history just doesn't remember her quite in the same way she's a lot in common with Monroe they both got started by closing in Playboy they were under contract with major studios they were singers actors they both won Golden Globes both of them even had affairs with uh, Robert and John F Kennedy and when Marilyn Monroe died suddenly jane mansfield replaced her on the film kiss me stupid because she was halfway through filming that so that kind of tells you i think a lot about jane mansfield she is of the era and so in line with marilyn monroe she has the blonde hair she has insane proportions of her body she was also the first mainstream actress to appear nude in a starring role in the u.s so i'm going to pause And explain to you, you might be wondering, why is Catherine so into Jane Mansfield out of nowhere? That's weird. So before I get to the really juicy Jane Mansfield stuff, this started when sometime in December, the New York Times, not New York Times, um, New York Magazine put out an article about Nepo babies. Did you see that about? Yeah, I saw the headlines, but I didn't read it. But yes. But what this article purported to do was to reveal all these nepo babies and let us know that they were getting their jobs because of their parents and there were some that everyone knew there was one i did not know which is mariska hargitay of law and order olivia benson on law and order svu well beloved she is the daughter of jane mansfield which i did not know and i thought that was fascinating so that's my first very cool fact about Jane Mansfield is that she is Mariska Hargitay's mother. This is just kind of lamely me being about how cool Jane Mansfield is. Besides being the mother of Mar- Mariska Hargitay, she was a very public Satanist, which I think in today's conspiracy theory climate would not fly. You could not have a very famous actress be a public Satanist. So she went to the church of Satan in San Francisco to meet the founder of Satanism, Anton LaVey, and like was really into it. And LaVey gave her the special title of High Priestess of the Church of Satan. So she's very high up in the Church of Satan. And it was really well covered by the press. There's like magazine spreads with her and Anton LaVey meeting each other. And so that was so interesting to me, because it wasn't considered that wild. It was a newsworthy topic, but like, People were like, cool, okay. So she kind of had a downward spiral and the end of her life is sad. She ended up in a very abusive relationship with her attorney. They got married. She developed very serious substance abuse issues and then began to rely more and more heavily on like publicly staged spectacles where her clothes would like accidentally fall off. And people in general said, oh, this is getting sad. And it was kind of slowly... She was still working, but it was becoming a sad kind of end for her. But she did die very young still, all things considered, not as young as Marilyn Monroe. So my final interesting research about Jane Mansfield, a very sad story and a warning that there is violence and death in this story, was that, again, many legacies Jane Mansfield has, her career, her daughter Mariska Hargitay creating the blonde bombshell phenomenon. But one very, very, very important legacy that I don't think most people know to tie to Jane Mansfield and maybe her most lasting legacy is this. So have you ever looked, and I know the answer is yes, but have you ever looked at the back of like a truck, like a shipping truck, a commercial truck? Yes. And now I cannot, of course you have, we all have. So I can't stop looking at them now. Every time I'm driving or I I see them in a parking lot, I'm fascinated and I encourage you next time you're behind one in traffic or wherever, look at the back of a commercial shipping truck and you will see a bar across its back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Kind of um, at the bottom of the truck, just a very solid metal bar. I, for some reason, always thought that was there so people could step up into the truck. Um, I haven't really thought about why that bar is there. And when push came to shove, I was like, oh, it's to help you climb into the truck. And it absolutely is not that. Do you know what this bar is for? Okay. So it's not always a bar. It can be a whole system that hangs down from the truck's chassis, but it's basically known as an underride guard. And it's been around for a long time. Very important. It is also known more commonly as a Mansfield bar. And the reason for this is that Jane Mansfield was driving late one night. She was going from one show to another performance overnight at like two in the morning. Um, her husband was driving, and there were her and her husband and another adult were in the front seat. All three of her children were in the back seat, including Mariska Hargitay. And during the drive, the car, which was a Buick, crashed at very high speeds into a Johnson tractor trailer. The trailer had slowed down because there was an approaching fog spray truck coming the other way and they just didn't see it or stop for it. And so Jane Mansfield's car crashed high speed into this Johnson truck and it was so catastrophic that virtually the entire top of the car was sheared off because it went under the truck, sheared off the top of the car. All of the adults were instantly killed. Shockingly and luckily, none of the children were even seriously injured in the back seat. Mariska Hargate has, like, a Harry Potter scar in the middle of her forehead, but that was, like, the biggest injury the children sustained. That's still a horrific thing, to think, like, all the adults are dead, you're in a car crash. She was very, I think Mariska Hargate was, like, six years old at the time. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, so, This is a problem. Apparently, this was a much bigger problem beside Jane Mansfield accident that every time a car crashed into a truck, it would go under the truck and it would shear off the top of the truck once it hit the windshield and cause just catastrophic damage. If that happened, you were not going to survive it. It made crashes with trucks extremely, extremely deadly. So after Mansfield's very public death in this way, Legislation was passed in direct result of this. All commercial trucks of that nature have to have a bar made steel tubing, so you just smash into the truck. You don't go under the truck, and that is a Mansfield bar. I had no idea. Yep. Oh, what a sad story. But I'm glad they like did something about it because that yeah. yeah. The next time you see a truck. Thank Jane Mansfield that if you crashed into it, you might be okay. And the next time you watch Larder and Order SVU, also thank Jane Mansfield, the Satanist.
1: All right. Well, my research thing, I'm going to start by just showing you the stack of books I have next to me. I'm so excited. I've been waiting and waiting for this. This is 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman, which I highly recommend and I love it. And it is the book that I have. I cannot stop thinking about this book. I it like much like you, everybody who's been around me for the last month is like, okay, shut up now. Cause I can, I've just been talking about it nonstop. Um, but the other two books that I have next to me
0: are these. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> these are the best books. Michelle is holding up Richard Scarry's Busy, Busy Town and Richard Scarry's What Do People Do All Day? <laughs>
1: which I got from the library earlier today in preparation for my research segment, which I'm I going love to love it to now. All right. So I'm going to start by just giving you a general overview of 4,000 weeks by Oliver Berkman. Um, so long time listeners of this podcast will know that I have a special relationship with time management and productivity books that some might describe as unhinged. Um, I, <laughs> Dedicated. Dedicated. Weird. I I read a lot of them. I hate almost all of them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I I have a strange relationship with time management and the concept of time and the feeling of not being productive enough. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's unique to me. Like I think a lot of us are constantly feeling that pressure of productivity. And I don't pers- know
0: if you saw me get weird before the podcast started, you, you, you were making very normal conversation. Like, what have you been up to? And I got so stressed. And then I think I just start listing things because I've been sick for more than a week. I haven't been able to do much. And so when people say, like, what have you been up to? I just panic. I black out panic and I can't just say I've been resting and healing. I can't say it.
1: Which is just crazy,
0: right? Because like I didn't I didn't mean like Catherine, prove your worth to me as a human, right? Oh like <laughs> I know. I know. And you of anyone, I don't need to do that. But it does. That's exactly what the question sounds like to me. So validate yourself. Yeah, when validate existence. You Why do you deserve oxygen and food? Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I randomly said to you, I've been writing letters of recommendation <laughs> and I'm like, you don't need to know
1: <laughs> So, so in that case, have you read this?
0: No, I, I haven't read it and I'm definitely going to. Okay. 4,000 Weeks by
1: Oliver Berkman is a fairly recent book. It is subtitled Time Management for Mortals. Its title comes from, and I don't know if this is going to make anybody especially, maybe Catherine, uncomfortable as we say it, but the title comes from the fact that 4,000 weeks is the average human lifespan. That's not enough. That's not enough. I mean, that's, you know, average. Some people live to be 100. See, then you might get like 5,200 weeks, but some people don't. I think 4,000 is like 80-ish. But like, you know, you might not get any more. Like, this might be it. Like, so... I know I'm getting getting into the so I I've talked on here before. I talked about
0: car crashes and vomit. You're allowed to talk about mortality.
1: Well, and I have been like I think I've I've talked on here before about how I'm trying to be a stoic. I guess I I don't know like I believe in the principles of stoicism, so I guess in that sense I am a stoic. I guess anybody who's trying to be anything is always falling a little short of the ideal, right? Oh. So like I guess I am a stoic. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Um, and so one of the primary concepts of um, stoicism is the memento mori. Remember, you must mm. die. Right. And that the idea is that if you understand that you that your life is finite, that you make better choices about how you spend it, because you can't fall into this belief that you get, you know, an infinite amount of time or that there's some escape from it. We're not all going to go live on Mars in frozen capsules. Mr Musk right like this is it we got to deal with we got to deal with our mess where we where we are what what we've got and so i think that this book is really blunt about that is really blunt about it doesn't it doesn't put it it's very accessible like i don't think that it doesn't get into like it definitely talks about the philosophy and mentions like where you could read more about those philosophies, but it is in very approachable, very accessible language. So I don't, don't not read it because I'm rambling about ancient Greeks. Um, it is a very accessible book. And so, but it definitely brought that idea to mind, this Memento Mori, which is something that I've really been trying to reflect on a lot because I, I believe you very strongly that, like, I should be spending my time well because I believe that it is finite. And I think that, like, being aware of that is important to making good choices. And he, and Berkman really drills that down into, like, look, every single choice you make is an infinite number of things you didn't do. And he's like, you, you cannot do them all. And like one of the things he says, like the one that has really been bothering me that I'm like, "Oh, this is making me uncomfortable." Is he's like, "You should make a list of 20 things you really care about. And now you you prioritize them. You get maybe 5." Yeah, yeah, right? And then he says, this is the part that's going to make this is this is the part that makes me squirm. It's like, "Now you would think that things that aren't on your list are your distractors the things you have to protect yourself from it's like it's number
0: six through 20. Oh that hits that yeah you squirm because yeah. it it hits because he's like because those are the things you care enough about that they
1: can pull you away from your real priorities because you do want them but you just can't do them all you can't you can't do 20 you get to do five because you have four thousand weeks. Isn't that uncomfortable? Did you make a list? I couldn't. I I I am <laughs> You're like, I love this book, changed my life, couldn't go through the exercise. <laughs> I am I am so I listened to it on audiobook and I went and physically bought the book and I'm gonna read through it again slowly so that I can do each thing that he talks about. But I think it is going to be very hard. Like I think it, I think I'm going to have to do it very slowly and with like a lot of intention and challenge because it is, um, yeah, it is, it is a lot. And there's something else coming out of this book that has sparked a research project for me. There's a different rabbit hole that I'm falling down, but I'm going to save that because I assume I'm going to come back to it in a future episode of Agreement. So listeners, why do I have Richard Scary books on my desk? So the reason I have, and I didn't read much Richard Scary as a child. Like, I don't know that just, I had a weird childhood. I had access to- Strange media. Like I just was always a little off from whatever everybody else was reading, which made explain a lot about me as a human being so um but i didn't know what richard scary was i they just weren't like beloved books to me that i read and reread i i think my grandma had some at her house so i would see them there sometimes and they were cute and i was like oh look at the little pig happily baking his bread or whatever um but so i don't have like a big nostalgic reaction to That's them like but it's like poor I, cozy feelings but yeah. i know from reading this that a lot from reading research oh, i do oh yeah a lot of people do like a lot of, and and i also found out just on a, a little uh side tangent so um as i was looking through these these are are the like original publication ones. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they've been reprinted, but these are the original ones from like the 60s or 50s or something. And there's a lot of like gender bias and mm. some um some racial stereotyping. Like there's a Native American uh character, I think a raccoon wearing like you know a headdress. And um I think that there's some uh depictions of Asian characters that are that are not good. But Richard Scary, when that feedback was given, like re ro- like redrew them and like did like did a good job of being like, oh okay, like instead of mom is cooking breakfast, it's the family is cooking breakfast and shows nice. the dad cooking. Like it was just really nice to see like that that feedback was given and received and attempted like to to rectify some of that. So I wanted to mention that as well. So here is why Busy Town is on my desk along with Four Thousand Weeks. This is um chapter two from 4000 weeks it's called the efficiency trap it is in a section that talks about how and this one has really stuck with me that like there you will never do everything on your to do list you will never ever do it and that if you spend your time doing like the tasks like this happens to me a lot this is the efficiency trap this is what he's talking about so i'll wake up in the morning and i'll have a bunch of emails from like parents and students and admin work i need to do for my business And I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to answer these emails really quick. And then there's just more emails. And then I'm like, I'll to answer these emails really quick. And there's just more emails. And he's like, and before you know it, you spent four hours on a task that you had allotted 15 minutes to, and you didn't spend any of the time on like those bigger tasks you were supposed to do that day. And you were busy all day long, but you didn't achieve anything from your actual to-do list. And he's like, the real trap of the efficiency trap is that you, you get better at the things that you do. So if what you do is answer email all the time, then you will get the reputation as the person who answers email quickly and you will get more email. And so like, whatever it is you do, that's what you're going to get more of. And like, I was like, that is so so true. 100% true. Um, and so I'm really, because I mean, it is important that I answer those emails and that I do so meaningfully and authentically and fairly promptly, but I am blocking off like, Parts of the day to do it and being intentional about okay, I'll do it after I do these things. So I'm, I've been trying to like practice that a little more readily. But anyway, mm-hmm. in this section, he says, Who wouldn't want to live in Busy Town? The setting of the iconic 1960s children books by the American illustrator Richard Scarry? His grocer cats and firefighting pigs are certainly busy. Nobody in Busytown is idle. What they aren't, though, is overwhelmed. They exude the cheery self-possession of cats and pigs who have plenty to do, but also every confidence that their tasks will fit snugly into the hours available. Whereas we live with the constant anxiety or, of fearing or knowing for certain that ours won't. Oh wow! Then <laughs> um, he mentions it. Mentions Busytown again. This is at the end of that same chapter. Um, He's talking about this woman, Sylvia Kiesmat abandoned a full-time university position in Toronto because she was following a hunch that her overwhelmed life and the efficiencies and conveniences it seemed to necessitate were somehow undermining its meaning She moved with her husband and children to a farm in the vast swath of the Canadian interior known as the Land Between, where each winter day begins by lighting the fire that will warm the farmhouse and provide heat for cooking. And there's a quote from her about how she spends her day. She's like, every morning I carefully scrape out the ash of yesterday and I lay the kindling and listen for the crackling of wood devouring flame. I wait. And she says in there, like, somebody asked, like, how long would it take you to get, um a hot cup of tea in the morning and she says well in the winter i light the fire sweep the floor wake the kids for chores run water for the cows get them some hay give the chickens some grain and their water feed the duck duck, sometimes kids with the horses and barn cats and then come back in then i put the kettle on maybe i get something to drink within an hour so uh she's just talking about how like her day is very routinized and um busy but busy in the way, he says, her days do seem busy in exactly that agreeable, non-overwhelmed, yeah. Richard scary sense of the world. That sounds Absolutely. like,
0: yeah, busy town life.
1: And so I, I guess my research thing is just like, you know, we've been talking a lot collectively and culturally about sort of a rejection of hustle culture um, and a rejection of busyness. But I don't think we mean that. I because no. I, I think we like busyness. I think that we um, idealize being able to stay active and feel purposeful and f- understand what we should be doing at any given moment. Um, and that includes not just like shoulds from work or shoulds, but like, you know, like, this is how I take care of my home. This is how I care for my family. This is what my pets need. This is what, you know, like... I think that we like having a sense of this is my place in the world and these are the things that I can contribute to my community, to my home, to my workplace, to myself.
0: Um, I was going to say to myself, because you've talked on the podcast before about when leisure activities are considered like morally good and it's like reading is maybe busy and watching TV is not. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so I just, I don't know, I guess my research thing is just this reflection on like, I don't think we're actually trying to reject busyness the way that we say we are. I think we're trying to reject overwhelm. And I think that it all boils down to a fear of mortality. I think that we are terrified of the fact that we really only get
0: 4,000 weeks. And we're trying to ignore that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not saying much. That just really, that really hit. And I feel like I've. I feel like I got knocked over by a wave, and I'm trying to stand back up, because that. That was very solid, but it kind of just. I need to read. I need to read this because even please just hearing it. that really yeah. upended it. Especially this week, like I said, I've been sick all week, and I have been baking like a maniac. Yeah. Yes, Go watch my, trash TV in bed, please. My spouse has been having to like herd me. Corgi, like a corgi, like get into your stay in bed. I just can't, and it doesn't help, and it doesn't feel good. And I don't want to do it. Why am I doing it? I have to make that, a list. I don't know. You better make a list. I want to know your list. I'll make a list if you make okay. Right. I'm gonna
1: try.
0: It's gonna be so hard to make that list, though, knowing that like number six is like, oh, that's your distraction. And yeah, number six oh. is like your just biggest tell me threat, like one thing. Yeah what do you think your number six is? I mean, it's
1: probably connected to like freelance work or, you know, like, um, writing that is lucrative or that feels like that makes me feel important, but that isn't serving the topics that I'm most interested in those kinds of things. That makes sense.
0: All right. Well, there we go. Mortality. Should we recap? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we got it. We covered a lot, it feels like. Okay, so to recap, my weird thing was learning that rabbits, they can become ill, but they can't get sick. They can't vomit.
1: My weird thing was not actually spontaneous human combustion. But my mixed feelings about ChatGPT.
0: My pop culture. If you need pop culture, just look at that vulture. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Somebody did have a vulture on their head. um, I love vultures. I really like vultures. Vultures are great. They're great. So my pop culture was the Miss Universe national costume portion of the Miss Universe pageant.
1: And my pop culture thing was Don, Lafon- or Don LaFontaine, who has done over 5,000 narrator voiceovers for movie trailers.
0: Wow. And my research was about the life of Jane Mansfield. And I guess most particular, also researching like those, the Mansfield bar on trucks.
1: And my research was about our mortality and how I don't think we're rejecting busyness, but rather
0: overwhelm. Okay. I feel like mortality is a theme that you could fit a lot into. That seems ripe. You open the fortune cookie. You will die. <laughs> Maybe we should have chat GPT write this week's fortune cookie. Do you want me to try? Can we try that? All right. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Put all those things in and say, write a fortune cookie. Okay, I'm going to say, Dang. I'm going to say, write a fortune cookie.
1: That combines. (laughs) Rabbits cannot vomit. (laughs) Chat GPT makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) The Miss Universe. (laughs) What is it going to spit out at us? I
0: know.
1: (laughs) Don LaFontaine's voice. Jane Mansfield's death and busy town
0: <laughs> All right. we're really tested it we're really testing it live for the audience except for i accidentally wrote busty town so it was probably going to tell me i can't write about that <laughs> oh no
1: it's hold on an error occurred let me see i might not be like broke
0: chat gpt you're welcome teachers <laughs> when you read next week that it's down it's thanks to our fortune cookie <laughs>
1: Your request you requested a model that is not compatible with this <gasps> engine? What? What does that mean? All right, all right. What if I
0: What is that? I don't even we did. it. We did it! I broke we Chat GPT did something. Chat GPT had to do with our fortune. Our fortune cookies are the <laughs> it's the answer.
1: I'm gonna say sum up the ideas of instead.
0: Yeah, probably it doesn't probably doesn't understand fortune cookie as a model. No, they're just giving me a line about each. <laughs>
1: so have you tried to get chat B- chat GPT to say anything bad about ChatGPT?
0: No. It won't. I, it won't.
1: So it says here, ChatGPT is a language model and its purpose is to assist users with information and tasks. It's not designed to make anyone uncomfortable.
0: What is maybe could you put um create a parable, not a parable. What am I thinking? What's short aphorism create an aphorism with create an aphorism, combining all those things.
1: Oh no, sorry. Uh, hold on. I have to sit with this for a 2nd Are you ready. <laughs> I'm ready. In busy town, even the rabbits know that a life without growth is a life without purpose.
0: (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Okay, let's check it. Let's okay. We have to do, we have to check it the way we check things. Does it. Now I would say it doesn't cover a lot la fontaine but i can picture him reading this. in his voice in instead of in town. in a world in busy, in busy town. town even, even the, the rabbits. rabbits know so i do think that fits um i feel like we could you know jane mansfield life her life ended too soon she did a lot in it but she still kind of had a downward spiral right. obviously if it's rabbits obviously if it's chat gpt um I feel like it didn't quite capture Miss Universe. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's say. Um... Which is a shame because I do want. I liked that. I wanted to work. So
1: I said, can you create another one, but include the moon?
0: <laughs> yes. There and you it go. It said
1: the moon may wax and wane, but in busy town, the pursuit of progress never fades. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> So, yeah, the moon of progress never wanes. That is such a good, I think aphorism works for fortune cookie. Okay, so I tried create another aphorism,
1: but include costumes and make it rhyme. And it said, costumes may change, but
0: true beauty in busy town will always remain. <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a slant rhyme, but okay. Didn't quite rhyme, but okay. So, do we want to hand it over to ChatGPT? Do we want to try to do better? I feel like we can. I feel like we can do better. I feel like we have to prove we can. Yeah, we don't want the robots to overtake our podcast. Okay, I do like the first one, and I do in Busy Town. Even the
1: rabbits know that a life without growth is a life without purpose. I
0: feel like that's a good jumping off point. If it had only. Gotten the mist Universe, we would have been golden.
1: I think I want to keep the in Busy Town with in the Busy voice. Town. Yeah, I, I, I like that yeah. that element.
0: Okay. Oh wait, so we're saying in Busy Town, even the rabbits know that a life hmm. in in Busy, busy town, town, even the rabbits know costumes.
1: Even in the busy bu- even the
0: rabbits know costumes. Yeah, even the rabbits know costumes in Busy Town. In Busy Town, even the rabbits know. Maybe something like
1: costumes won't control what you're remembered for, because like Ooh. I feel like Jane Mansfield's life was like this costume of this Bond bombshell. But no, like, exactly, and that, then I'm
0: talking about Satanism and car crashes. Yeah. So in Busy Town, even the rabbits know. And I immediately forgot the brilliant thing. Is Costumes that. won't
1: determine how they remember you. Yeah. Oh, so um, I,
0: I think, I think, it, are you happy with that before you say it? Like Don LaFontaine? Yeah. Okay. So I first th- let's read ChatGPT's. ChatGPT's
1: is, in Busy Town. even the rabbits know that a life without growth is a life without purpose. Okay. And now ours is... In busy town, even the rabbits know that a costume won't determine how they remember you.
0: Yeah. There you go. If anybody wants to write in or call us and tell you which us which one you prefer, the robots or the human beings with beating hearts and feelings. Feelings. No, there you go. We're back. Okay. Even in Busy Town, I keep saying even in Busy Town, that's not it. In Busy Town, even the rabbits know the costumes won't determine how you are remembered. That's um, yeah, that's an interesting one. And we mean costumes, like also very, very figuratively. Yes, like right? whatever
1: face you put on for the public is not necessarily how you're. Which I think kind of goes with the idea of like the. 4,000 weeks. And like you might see yourself as being this kind of person, but that might not be because, you know, if you spent too much time on your number six, you know, like
0: example, the email example was so good because it's like you think you're doing all these things. Like that actually plays into you being a good teacher and being a considerate friend. But like maybe the world just sees it as you're good at emails. Yeah. It's not reflected back what you think you're putting out. Your costume isn't what they remember you for i'm really selling this this is good this is a good 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 fortune cookie and i'm happy me too take that jet chat gpt and we're back we're back for real this time we really are we've settled i i'm healthier i've moved across the country we're settled i took a vacation i got to see white sands very cool so we will see you in a fortnight in a fortnight we'll be back
1: if you have a grab bag for us send it to us
0: at angrymentpodcast at gmail.com grab bag do the grab bag we haven't got to hear the grab bag song in so long I don't yeah if you don't want to do it for us do it for the song do it for the it song needs, needs to get it's a good out. song yep okay see you later bye bye, bye.